0: Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins Podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, as well as a longtime Marlins writer. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about Sixto Sanchez's return, a few different takeaways from the recent spring training games, a lot of positives from the Marlins bullpen. A couple negatives, but I think the positives outweigh the negatives and I'll tell you why. And then an update on some of the competitions that we've seen in Marlins camp, of course, second base, but also rotation and also bullpen and giving my thoughts on where that all stacks up and where each player stacks up in their respective competitions. But let's start with Sixto Day as Sixto is finally back. And he looks like he didn't really miss a beat. The velo was right there as it always is. Hit triple digits, sat at 98.5 miles per hour. That was the average velocity on his fastball, which matches the average velocity on his heater from last season. As for the pitch distribution, it looks pretty much the same. He threw the fastball about a quarter of the time, sinker about a quarter of the time. Through the change up 27% of the time, which was more than any of his other pitches, mixed in a couple curveballs and some sliders as well. I'd like to see that slider a little bit more next time he comes out. I'm sure he just wanted to get back into the groove of things, command that fastball and throw strikes, but I want to see how that slider improves this year because that pitch is a big X factor for him. Overall, a really encouraging debut for Sixto, and I know the Marlins are going to take their time with him as they should, but he looked 100% today, and the only thing was a little bit of rust with the. The mechanics it seems like he was struggling to hit spots a tad at times but not too worried about that as it's been a while since Sixto has pitched in game. I was looking forward to seeing Edward, but now that the Marlins have shut down Cabrera for a little bit, we'll have to wait and see on Edward Cabrera, but at least we got Sixto Sanchez, and again, he just never disappoints. Would like to see a little bit more swing and miss stuff, so that'll be something to follow as we move forward here. As for the innings limit that Craig Mish reported would be on Sixto Sanchez, roughly 160 innings, which is honestly a larger number than I expected. I was worried it would be more in the 120 to 140 range. Sixty should be fine for the Marlins, especially with the starting pitching depth that they have. They could mix in a 6th starter into the rotation if they would like to, to spread out the 6 to starts. And generally speaking, you don't like to do that because your ace at the top, you don't want to really add any more games in between your aces starts, but you could argue with the Marlins that they are very good 1-5, to five. and while there probably is a little bit more of a leg up when you look at Sandy and Pablo over some of the younger guys, you can't really say that they are just far and beyond better than everybody else, and on any given day, I think Trevor Rogers, Eliezer Hernandez when he's on, and of course, Sixto Sanchez can pitch to the ability of Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara or better when they're really locked in and have stuff working for him, so it's not like you're waiting an extra day or an extra game to have Jacob deGrom come around and pitch again. If I'm the Mets, I'm never in a million years considering a six-man rotation, but the Marlins, it seems to make more sense. Although I do think Pablo and Sandy, as I said, are going to be a little bit more consistent, you can still justify spreading out the starts a little bit for Sixto by throwing in a sixth man into the rotation because the Marlins have a ton of guys that could spot start for them, no problem. Gio Gonzalez is one, Nick Niter would be another one, and I would love to see Nick Neidert make some starts, so if he's working out of the bullpen, or maybe he starts in AAA, it's a good way for the Marlins to see what Neidert's got as a starter at the Major League level, and if he starts to pitch really well, then you have a better idea of what you can do with your rotation. Obviously, Gio is a veteran and will battle out there and probably give you some quality starts. We'll have to see how the quality of stuff is for him this coming season, but I have my reasons to believe that he could be a solid swingman if the Marlins needed it. Also, especially Speaking of swingmen, Paul Campbell is another guy that can make spot starts if needed. So the Marlins could have an easy, occasional six-man rotation if they need it. But for now, I don't know if they need it because 160 innings, let's say that Sixto averages about six innings per start. That would get him roughly 27 starts there. And he averaged about five and a half innings per start this past season. I think if you just spread out a couple starts in the middle of the season or early in the season... That should allow Sixto to be able to pitch throughout the duration of the 162-game slate. And I don't think it'll take too much of spreading out and too much strategic adjustment to keep Sixto's innings under 160 throughout the year they can also pull him a little bit earlier in games where they're ahead there's a lot of different ways to go about it as we remember Jose Fernandez was on that innings limit and that Marlins team fell out of contention so it became a little bit easier to decide how to handle that and if this Marlins team falls out of contention then there you go you have your answer too you can just shut him down a bit earlier the hope is though that the Marlins are playing meaningful games ...down the stretch, and you're going to want to have Sixto there for you to try to keep you in the hunt regardless. Very encouraging to see Sixto back, to see Sixto hitting triple digits, and I can't wait to watch him come out again and see how he continues to build off of that return. But he looks healthy, he looks ready to go, and I know the Marlins are going to be careful with him as they have been with Edward Cabrera, and it's a good idea, because look, they're not going to win the World Series this year, at least I don't think so, you never know, but I don't think they are banking on winning the World Series this year, so don't push it with your young guys, make sure they're ready, make sure they're healthy, and then go from there. I think the Marlins window is in the next year or two after this year, where you can start to push and say, okay, this team can do it. I think that's why we were hearing about the Marlins potentially being interested in Anthony Rizzo or Carlos Correa for next season because now that would be when they're starting to say, okay, we can start to put it together now. Sandy Alcantara will be really starting to hit his prime. Pablo Lopez the same. He seems to keep getting better as well. Those two guys will be leading the rotation. You assume Sixto will continue to make strides. Edward Cabrera would be healthy at that point, hopefully, and continuing to develop into the frontline starter that we believe he can be. Then you got Trevor Rodgers, who I think is going to be a very solid middle of the rotation arm or better by then. And then there's so many other guys moving parts like Braxton Garrett, who just got optioned to AAA and I was encouraged by what we saw from him and some other younger guys like Max Meyer who could be ready in the next year or two because of how advanced he is. You could see this window for the Marlins and when it makes sense and how we're starting to get closer to that window. Then on the offensive side of things, you think about J.J. Bleday. If he's not up by the end of this year, he'll be up by next season. Any of Burdick, Conine, Gerard Encarnacion, Meisner in the next two years should be able to break into the big leagues. Not all of them. But I think a couple of them should be solid big leaguers. They all have the potential to be all-stars, which is the volatility of the Marlins system, but also the exciting aspect of it. At that point, you'd also hope that Jazz Chisholm has put it together. So there's just so much that the Marlins have to look forward to, and it seems to line up with the window. So take your time this year. You want to be competitive. The Marlins started to make some smaller moves to give themselves a shot this year. And overall, I think you're starting to see that come together, but you're also seeing that the Marlins don't want to jeopardize the future as well. I want to talk a little bit about the bullpen because a big X factor for me and somebody that I wasn't really banking on starting the year for this Marlins team at the beginning of the season, is Zach Pop. And that was a big reason why I wanted the Marlins to go get a swing and miss guy. They did go get that with Anthony Bass, and they did go get some other veterans too. But Zach Pop looks healthy. And if he's ready to go this season, this totally changes the Marlins bullpen for this year. And I'll talk about why in just a moment. First, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. NFL season may be over, but we've got NBA, college basketball, NHL all in full swing. March Madness, of course, right around the corner. BetOnline has all the odds covered for every sport, but even awards, TV shows, reality TV—you name it—they've got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. And if you use the promo code Locked On—that's one word, Locked On. You'll get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your initial deposit, Ben Online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's jump back in now to the Marlins bullpen conversation because you know this was something that I was very stressed about, as you can remember if you've been listening to this podcast through the off season. thank you if you have, and I'm sorry for some of those bullpen rants, but it was a problem. You look at that Marlins bullpen and you're like, there's no freaking way that they could have went into the season with the bullpen before all the moves that they've made and say, yeah, we're trying to win. That being said, they were at that time making some good low-key moves that don't ensure anything but could pay dividends down the line, and I liked those moves, but you had to have some of those veterans just in case some of these other guys don't pan out. Like I said, you can't count on the Rule 5 guys. Ultimately, the Marlins did that, and I loved the moves that they decided to make to be able to get some veterans into the mix in the bullpen, and now we're seeing, with less pressure and less importance on some of these younger guys, we're seeing some of those underrated acquisitions look pretty good and look like potential bullpen options for the Marlins too, and the good thing is, if they're not ready, then you have some veterans in the meantime but I've been very impressed with a few different ball players, which I'll talk about in a second, but we got to start with Zach Pop. And if you remember, I mentioned him as a potential target for the Marlins in the Rule 5 draft, and then when they did get him, I loved that pickup along with Paul Campbell, but Pop is just on a different level. I was honestly shocked that the Orioles did not protect Zach Pop given the numbers that he's put up in the past, and really the only question for him was the health. And there were some theories flying around that maybe the Marlins were just going to put Pop on the 60 day IL so that he can rehab. And get back and get ready to go. And in that way, the Marlins wouldn't have to use the roster spot on him because if you don't have your rule five draft pick up on your roster by a certain date or at a certain point, then the other team has the option to purchase that player back. And you know the Orioles would purchase Pop back if they got the opportunity. Actually, Connor Newcomb of the Locked on Orioles podcast hits me up just about once a week and is like, checking in on Zach Pop, how's he doing? And I'm like, He's doing great, and it doesn't look like the Marlins are going to give him up anytime soon. I'm sorry, and he just goes, aw, damn. So it just shows you even the Orioles fans were a bit disappointed to lose Pop, and ultimately, that was a great pickup for the Marlins, but Pop has impressed me on a different level. This isn't some guy that's just running into some luck in spring training and getting guys to just roll over or hit them right at people or getting a couple lucky swings and misses. Zach Pop is nasty, and we knew he was nasty, right? Like, the numbers in his minor league career are there he's been a very hard guy to hit throughout his minor league career the problem was he just dealt with some injury issues but now that he's healthy man he looks great and I wasn't expecting him to be ready to go this early in his minor league career a 1.34 ERA in 80 and a third's innings pitched yes he's only thrown two innings so far but I've watched every single pitch in the spring training that he has thrown with intent and He's looked fantastic. Three Ks in those two innings. But the slider is just wipeout, closer caliber slider. The fastball's got crazy movement, and they overlay. I want to see Pitching Ninja overlay. I know Zach Pop's not at the top of his list of guys he's going to do overlays of, but If you put those two pitches over each other, the fastball tails back arm side and the slider bites so hard glove side, I just could not imagine trying to hit against this guy. And he is just deceptive. His body moves slow, but then his arm moves quick. He's a nightmare. He's got closer caliber stuff. And I think for the Marlins at this point, they're looking at him as a potential lights out guy. And pop is important because I have my reservations as to whether James Hoyt is going to be able to replicate what he did last year. And as to whether he's going to be able to get the swings and misses that he got last year because he was the swing and miss guy for the Marlins last season. And the Marlins need somebody like that this season because even the acquisitions that they made, guys that I do like, like Dylan Floro and John Curtis, they don't get these ridiculous strikeout numbers. Zach Pop has a chance to get you ridiculous strikeout numbers and in the future could be a legitimate closer for this ball club. I've loved what we saw from Anthony Bass, but how about the other Anthony? Anthony Bender has been amazing as well, and I think he's pitching himself into an opportunity in this bullpen. He's like the Brad Boxberger of this spring training, and the difference is that Bender throws absolute cheese as well. And he's another swing and miss guy that is going to be able to bail you out of tough situations. And much like Pop, Bender has just been slept on. I don't know how he wasn't picked up by a team after his 2019 where he was... Fantastic. Not a huge sample size, but he was good in 36 and a third's innings across A ball, high A and double A. He pitched his way through three levels. He pitched to a one ERA in those 36 and a third's innings. He struck out 35, only gave up three home runs and racked up nine saves. This is another guy that could potentially be a back end of the bullpen type of arm. He's seen an uptick in his stuff. He's seen jumps in his swing and miss stuff. And I'm very intrigued by him as well. But there are some minor concerns. And one of those is the Marlins lefties currently in the bullpen and the guys that they were somewhat counting on to be able to be the lefties for this team this year, Ross Detweiler is one of them. I I believe that Detweiler made some improvements last year to make himself a lefty bullpen arm, thanks to the change in pitch usage using the breaking ball and slider a bit more. But at the end of the day, we don't know for sure if that was a sustainable improvement. And the Marlins did not need to give Detweiler a major league deal. I think they were a little bit early on that because of how deep the bullpen market was. They could have waited a bit longer. It took so long for the dominoes to fall for this reliever market that they didn't need to go so early and scoop up Detweiler and give him a major league deal. I mean, even Brandon Kinsler signed a minor league deal. And I know it was worth more than what the Marlins offered him, but he signed a minor league deal. Like the Marlins did not need to commit a major league spot to Ross Detweiler. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds. He has not been good so far this Spring training, he has thrown four innings across four outings. He's given up six hits, five earned runs, three walks, and only struck out a pair. And small sample size, but as I watched the reliever market somewhat stay stagnant, I thought more and more, man, maybe they did not need to give this guy a guaranteed deal. And um, I think it's starting to ring true a little bit, but we still need to wait and see. And he could still pitch great, but regardless, it seemed like a bit of a knee-jerk or early reaction and decision from the Marlins. Somebody else that impressed me, he did give up a run today, but in the one outing that we saw him before this one, Jake Fishman looks like he could help the Marlins lefty situation. I thought he was really tough on left-handed hitters in his first outing with a pair of strikeouts. Richard Blyer's looked a little shaky, but that guy is Richard Blyer, and you know how I feel about my man Richard Blyer. He will figure it out. He has given up eight hits in four and two thirds, but my man Dick Blyer is always going to be a safe, safe, safe option out of the bullpen, and he should be fine to go, but that's not going to be the guy that you put in in the tough situations where you really need to get a swing and miss or a K on a Freddie Freeman or a Juan Soto or one of those guys you need somebody that's a bit tougher with better stuff that's going to make a lefty very uncomfortable and the Marlins are still lacking that to a degree and it seems like they're hoping to fill that potential void with an internal option and they do have quite a few internal options Dylan Lee is worth talking about as well He's looked good in his two outings so far, limited sample size, but his minor league numbers are somewhat slept on as well. And it's easy to forget about some of these minor league numbers that relievers put up two years ago because we didn't have a minor league season last year and why am I going to be thinking about a random reliever and how he did in Double A when the Marlins are loaded with top prospects? I don't blame you for not thinking about Dylan Lee or maybe you have, but Dylan Lee had good numbers in double A in 2019. I mean, really good and he's a southpaw that has been tough on lefties. This could be another option for the fish in Double A Jacksonville in nineteen, a one point nine one ERA. He picked up thirteen saves for the Jumbo Shrimp, thirty seven and two thirds innings. He punched out thirty two and pitched to a .93 WHIP. So there's some encouraging numbers there from Dylan Lee from twenty nineteen, and maybe. He has taken some steps in the right direction this year, somebody that is worth watching a little bit closer to. But it definitely helps the Marlins immensely with some of these guys potentially stepping up as Yemi Garcia may be a candidate for regression, we know James Hoyt is a candidate to regress, and both of those guys have been struggling in spring training, I think Garcia will figure it out, and since the Marlins added Floro and Curtis, that they won't really need Yemi to be like an 8th inning guy if he just isn't quite what he was in a shortened season last year, but the Marlins still would really need Yemi to be a decent piece if one of these other pitchers doesn't step up if Zach Pop looks like Zach Pop does, he could easily be the 8th inning guy for the Marlins leading up to Anthony Bass, who has been very Impressive as well. I'm going to get to some of the Marlins competitions in just a moment as well, but a reminder first that this episode is also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Right now, we've got Built Bar Madness going on in honor of March Madness. Built Bar wants to find out which protein bar is the best tasting protein bar. Of course, all of them are low in calories, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber and amazing tasting while covered 100% in chocolate. But now's the time to find out which flavor is the best. You can go to BuiltBar.com or at Built underscore Bar on Twitter to vote for your favorite flavor or if you have not tried Built Bar yet, it's a good way to find out which flavors are the best. Remember also, if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D in the numbers 1-5. You'll get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com for 15% off your next order. So let's wrap up with the competition, so to speak, for the Marlins lineup. And where can you start other than second base where I don't know if anybody is winning the competition. It's just who is losing it less, meaning that Isan Diaz has not looked great. Jazz Chisholm did have a pair of hits today, which helps him immensely because now he's hitting 200. But both of those guys just not been doing very well in spring training. Jazz, I genuinely don't believe is ready, but he's probably been outplaying playing Isan to a degree. Isan not hitting much. He has been walking. The on-base percentage is at 333 in his 16 at-bats, and that's what Diaz is going to be able to offer you even when he's not hitting. He doesn't strike out a ridiculous amount, and he's going to at least get you some free passes. His OPS is at 646 because of that, where he was able to hit for a little bit of power, hitting some extra base hits, and then he walks. That's what he's going to do when he does hit, and when he doesn't hit, he's going to at least walk on occasion. Jazz is going to strike out a lot, but he's also going to probably play some better defense. He's going to probably be able to change the game a bit more with his power and with his speed but both of those guys just not hitting great right now. And the Marlins want to see one of the two step up and win the job. It's kind of bizarre to just hand one of the two the job as they both struggle. And John Birdie, after looking great last year and after his teammates have come out and said, Brian Anderson said it on MLB Network, John Birdie's one of the most underrated guys, if not the most underrated guy on the team. But also, I want to see Jazz or Eson get at bats under their belt because the Marlins are looking for the future. That being said, you want to start this season putting your best foot forward, and it's pretty hard to deny that John Birdie starting at second base isn't the best lineup for the Marlins right now for a lot of reasons. John Birdie is hitting much better than the aforementioned two. He has hit better than the aforementioned two in the last season. Plus, also... He is the leadoff type of hitter that the Marlins are lacking truly right now. John Birdie would finally be that clear-cut leadoff guy, and then the rest of the lineup would make sense. I'm not advocating for John Birdie starting over Josh Chisholm or Isan Diaz, but what I am saying here is it does make sense if the Marlins are theoretically trying to win right now. The best way I could put it is this. If the Marlins organization was told, you are playing one game right now, and if you win this ballgame, you get $10 million cash to spend in free agency. Would the Marlins start, John Birdie, or would they start Jazz Chisholm or Isan Diaz? I think it's pretty clear that the Marlins would probably start John Birdie in that must-win game. That's an extreme example, but the point is, the Marlins want to get out to a hot start. They want to try to continue what they did last year, but they also want to develop their young guns, and they have high hopes for Jazz Chisholm, and I'm sure they still have some hopes for Isan Diaz. So it's a tough spot right now, because Birdie is the guy that I'm sure some of the veterans on the team may want to see right now. For reasons beyond just the fact that he has really earned more playing time, it's the fact that he is a grinder, a career minor leaguer that's just blue-collar, hard nose. We How many times did we see him hit an infield single, get to first, swipe second, get an extra bag to third, and basically manufacture a run without the ball leaving the infield? Those are the things that John Birdie does. I think Jazz Chisholm can do the same thing, don't get me wrong, but Jazz Chisholm may be hitting 120 while he's doing that. If I could say what I want right now, perfect situation, if I'm in charge, I'm going to say Jazz starts in AAA, Esan starts at second base, but I am not afraid to to yank Eson against lefties or whatever it may be to get John Birdie some starts. I would like a platoon there to start the year. Birdie still needs to get his at-bats. Yes, you can move him around the infield, but at the end of the day, the Marlins outfield's busy now. They got to figure out how the hell they're going to get Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar at-bats, which is just so awful because the Marlins' two best hitters will not be in the lineup at the same time very often unless Adam Duvall is really struggling. But it's pretty clear, in my opinion, if we're calling this a first-base competition, quote unquote, with Cooper and Aguilar, they're the opposite of this Jazz and Esan situation. Both of those guys are winning. Both of them are just mashing. It's absurd how well Garrett Cooper's been hitting. And for how long now have we all said Garrett Cooper is the best hitter probably on this Marlins team? Yet the Marlins refuse to commit to this guy. And it's just bizarre. I get the defensive limitations. I get the injury issues. But he's is the best hitter on this team. And he has been a consistent hitter since his days with the Yankees. The only question has been health. There's never been a moment where we're like, okay, can Garrett Cooper put it together? That's never been a question. That was even a question with Aguilar when he first signed with the Marlins was, can he recapture that 2018 form? And he did in a lot of ways. But that was never a question with Cooper. It was always just, will he stay healthy? And how many games can he play? So. So you know I got to get it in at least once a podcast I'm gonna say it's a disgrace that Major League Baseball doesn't have a DH this year and it hurts the Marlins very very badly I'm sure it hurts all teams in terms of offense but the Marlins may be disproportionately hurt compared to some other teams I know the Mets are really reeling from it too because they wanted to get Dom Smith in the DH spot and they've got tons of bats and they're gonna have to figure out what they're doing but the Marlins. Or a team that's much more hungry for offense and has to decide between their two best offensive players, which is going to be there because ultimately you have Duvall and Wright, who is a much better defender, and I get that, and you are limiting the Cooper injury risk by having Duvall out there, but Duvall has struggled pretty badly in spring training. He's a veteran. I'm not going to put too much stock into spring training struggles, but he is one for like 26 or something like that. And he is a historically incredibly streaky hitter. So when he's going through some slumps, I'm sure that's where you'll get Cooper some more at bats and more starts and right. And maybe against some tough lefty on lefty matchups, you could stick Cooper and right and then move Duvall over to left. There's going to be ways that they're going to find at bats for Cooper. They have to, they just have to figure it out. And of course, when they go to the AL and play America, league teams that's going to be so much easier for the marlins and i'm sure we'll see a jolt to the offense but it's just a pain in the ass of a situation for the marlins and i appreciate them bringing aguilar back before having the decision made by major league baseball in regards to the dh but if you remember back when i recorded that podcast i said it is insane that major league baseball was expecting the marlins to make a decision or any team to make decisions for this upcoming season without even knowing what the rules are Like, you don't even know what your lineup capabilities are because they haven't decided on the rule yet. That just blows my mind. And I just, like, I lose sleep over that. It's crazy to me. But at least it's a good problem for the Marlins to have where they have multiple quality bats, and God forbid if Aguilar goes down or Dickerson or Duvall, they're going to have a very good hitter waiting in the wings, and I'm sure they're going to find ways to get him at bats. Back to the second base situation, so I make sure I wrap that up properly. I'm going with Isan Diaz as a starter, even though he has not performed at an incredibly high level. I still believe in him. I still think that he can put it together and even just be a 250 hitter with a 350 on base and play you some decent defense and hit you some power as a platoon guy with birdie. I'm cool with that. And in the meantime, Jazz is getting his at bats in AAA, getting better and better. And then if he is just playing fantastic, then you maybe shop Isan around, and if he's hitting at least 250 with a 350 on base and hitting for a little bit of power, then you might be able to find a home for him. That makes the most sense to me, and you're still getting birdie some ABs, you're still getting Isan a chance to show what he can do, and Jazz gets a little bit more seasoning in AAA, which I do believe he needs. But this is fun, my friends. We got a lot of moving parts, and there's only going to be more moving parts as these prospects continue to push their way to the big leagues, especially that crowded outfield situation of prospects where we got Jesus Sanchez, we got Monte Harrison waiting. But then the Marlins might have to decide between Magnara Sierra and Lewis Brinson, both of which have not swung it great in the spring. I would assume that the Marlins would probably opt For Lewis Brinson for obvious reasons and because of investment reasons, but Sierra looked really good last year, so I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. That one's even over my head. It's going to be very interesting as we get closer to the season, and you will have me for the reactions, but I'm not even going to put a prediction on that one, and you know I generally like to make predictions, but overall, it's just too hard to figure out what the Marlins may be thinking in that regard, and if you remember, the Marlins surprised quite a bit with some of their opening day roster decisions last year. So who knows what's in store for us, but it should be fun. And this Marlins team is better than last year, and it's the best team the Marlins have had in quite a few years, so let's have some fun. It's going to be fascinating to see how the Marlins decide to chop this all up and put this roster together, but it will be a fun team to watch nonetheless. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to those who have subscribed and left reviews. I always appreciate that, and it helps me out immensely, and especially the reviews with visibility, so thank you so much. I thank you again for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.